I mean, our school system's fucked. They yeah, don't teach is. us how to do real world stuff. They teach us how, who, calculus. I know. How you much know. did you, you probably had to take pre-cal or yeah, you know, trigonometry or something in, yeah. in high school. Did nothing How, for how many me. times have you used that? Oh, no. and then I, had to do, I had to do it again in college. Yeah. How many times have I used pre-cal Never. or calculus in the real world? Never. How about, how about personal finance? Yeah. How, oh, about, how about how to communicate with others? How about how to be a nice human being? What is happening? Welcome back to your favorite podcast, the Grodi Podcast. I'm Rosh Shelson Mahaley, and I am joined by the CEO of Urban Space. Kevin Burns joins us. Wow. Over a billion dollars in his sales portfolio, another half a billion under contract. We are going to dive in from the humble beginnings to West Virginia to now being one of the kings of Alston's skyline and opening a new restaurant concept with Top Chef winner Kevin has an unbelievable story and he shares some incredible insight with us that we can all take and apply to our life. You guys get ready. I'll see you inside. Kevin Burns, what in the world does it take to build a $1 billion sales portfolio to your real estate name? You sold a billion dollars sales. A a, a billion in sales, another half billion under contract. (laughs) It's like the most mild flex of all time. (laughs) That is incredible. I mean, be honest, how much do you really think about the numbers? You know, uh, at the end of the day, I just think about doing what I love, right? I wake up every day. I got a bunch of shit to do. I get it. I get as much done as I can. And then I go to bed and I do it all over again. And when you do what you love, it's not really work. And when you're selling something that you believe in, as we discussed before we started recording here, then it's not work. No, it's not not just work, but it's it's not selling. Mm -hmm. So I like to think of what I do on the sales side of business is helping people find or get or you know, process what they need. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. How do you work someone through configuring exactly what they need? And to some people, they might not understand like, well, this person's looking for a $10 million property. Like, what do you mean what they need? Um, I think those people might be not be akin to the realization that as some more zeros are added to the end of the money you make, there's a different lifestyle that you truly do need that it kind of wagers to continue pushing you forward. How do you find out what your clients need? What's this process like? Well, so there's this really interesting evolution uh, when you're dealing with a client. As you add zeros, you you figure out what they need at first, and then you add what they want as well, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes... You know, for somebody that has a large budget and what they're looking to acquire, they don't exactly know what they what they need or what they want. So I'm I'm there to help them figure that out by you know getting to know the human being, figure out what the the purpose of the of the property uh, mm-hmm. is going to be. Are most people that you're working with living in Austin and looking to upgrade, or are they moving from outside of Austin? Because I know Austin's exploding, of course. Yeah, so Austin is exploding, but most of the buyers. That I work with. So there's there's two different buyer types. There's the buyers that were where I'm representing the buyer. And, you know, in many cases they are moving in from from LA, San Francisco, New York, et cetera. Uh, when I'm selling a, a condo tower, um, most of the time the people already live in Austin. Okay. Now they might have they might have moved here a year ago. 
Okay. Right. Okay. So, so at first glance, and now they're just buying a tower. <laughs> well, it, you know, first glance, they're 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 from Austin. When you peel back the onion a little bit, get to know the human being. They they moved here a year ago, two years ago. Maybe they rented for a year while they're trying to figure out what's right for them. Right. That's what I did when I was here. Yeah. I just kind of rented around places to see exactly where I wanted to go. It's a little bit overwhelming because Austin has so many cool pockets that are sure. going on. Most of your work is done in the direct downtown area. So you own Codependent. That's right. That's my that's my coffee shop. That's how you and I know each other. I'm the self-proclaimed king of Codependent. Um, I call myself and my dog that. Uh, it's my favorite place to work. I remember we had a, a passionate discussion once where I was telling you I love the laptop policy. But I've never been anywhere else that has a laptop policy because you want to encourage social connection. Absolutely. And I think that is absolutely beautiful. And you were telling me, you might leave it a Yelp review because people really hate the laptop. And you know, I went on there and I left a freaking five-star Yelp review. Oh, that, that Chat with so me happy. about that. You, ha, have you seen that happen anywhere else? Uh, no, you know, but we, I opened up Codependent uh, September of 2020. Do you remember what happened like in 2020? Let's see. Yeah, I think there was this like, there was pandemic. Something. There was a pandemic. So oh, yeah, could, there was. You couldn't go into the office, but then everybody went to the coffee shop. <laughs> but it really, but Codependent really wasn't even designed to be a coffee shop. It was designed to be a bar that served coffee during the day uh, and a place to to create community, right? But since everybody needed a place to work, we it naturally became a co it basically became a co working facility, you know, during COVID. And it was great having a full house, but what what we learned was everybody showed up at eight and they left at five, and they had two cups of coffee. What's wrong with that, Kevin? Well, you know, <laughs> I, I, I uh, it would have been great if I was charging a subscription for the for the use. Yeah. Uh, but once again, going back to that original idea on the space of creating community, uh, you know, I really wanted people engaging and interacting, right? And so. You know, over time we pushed and pulled on the levers. I'd never, I'd never owned a bar or coffee shop before, so I didn't know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, we we learned through trial and error. And on that particular deal, I I turned half of the space into a laptop free zone. Yeah. And so that gave uh, space, and that's when you first walk through the door. So when you when you're coming in, you you see people engaging in conversation. Ah. Right. And that 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 engagement. Uh, I think stimulates business, stimulates ideas, friendships, relationships, et cetera, while still serving those that need a spot to go uh, work and you know have a drink or two in the process. Yeah, yeah, awesome. I want to come back to the codependent concept, the modern. Yes. The latest and greatest high-rise being built in downtown Austin. Heck yeah. How many floors? 56 stories. 56 stories. What's going to be the most expensive unit there? Do you know yet? Yes. Eighteen million. Eighteen million dollars. It is available, by the way. Ah, uh, if I, I'm like a few podcast subscribers away, just dude. a few. I've got this. Yeah, <laughs> Hold absolutely. It for me. absolutely. What does eighteen million dollars come with at the modern? So eighteen million dollars buys uh, half of the top two floors. Amazing. It, it, it gets you over ten thousand square feet inside and out. You know, it gets you a plunge pool looking out over the city. It gets you a. It gets you a. Uh, uh, a fire pit and gigantic terrace and and you know views i mean for miles and miles and miles uh you know best in class finishes it's it's a it's a home in the sky it's an estate in the sky wow right uh but you know the 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 intent behind the modern wasn't just to be a building for people that had excessive wealth you know we had residences in the building that started at about a half million dollars and went all the way to 18 million wow we, we even uh as a 
uh, service to the community and a way to get further entitlements, we provided 20 affordable housing residences, you know, for people that are making 60 to $90,000 a year. Yeah. Some right? people don't like that. Some people in downtown Austin don't like that that's coexisting with high rises. There, there are a few, but, but I think the majority understand it, right? You know, I, I believe that, you know, I was able to get uh, the most density of any project ever in central Texas on my site, and I had to give back to the community. And so part of that giving was, was providing 20 uh, residences at a highly subsidized price, uh, giving a million and a half dollars to the affordable housing fund, and then a half million dollars to the Trail Foundation to help improve the Waller Beach Park, which is at the south end of Rainy Street. Yeah. So a lot, of, a lot of civic good. Yeah, yeah. Well, from one Austinite to another, we appreciate what you're doing for the community. Thank you. You've been labeled as the man changing the skyline around Austin. And you're one of the men changing the skyline. I'm one of them. I'm, I, I'm, I, I, I can't take credit for, for all of it, but I can take credit for a piece of it. And, and more, I think, a better way of looking at it is I'm, I'm kind of a cheerleader for urban living. Right? Are you? Yeah, yeah. So, so there are you know, a lot of people that have created incredible buildings in downtown. But you know, I would say that if there's one thing that I've done very well in my career is, is being a, a champion and ambassador for, for downtown Austin. Okay. So let me ask you a question. What is the friendship competition dynamic like amongst the men who build the skylines in downtown Austin? How how's the competition spirit? Um, like my building is bigger, bigger than, than yours. yours. <laughs> How does well, that work? <laughs> you know, I, that's the beautiful thing about the city we live in. It's it's super friendly. I mean, some of my best friends uh, built part of the skyline. And they were cheerleaders to me. They were supporting me. They gave, they sat me down and gave me a lot of really good advice, right? And, you know, I wouldn't say we're direct competitors, but we're probably indirect competitors, but we're, we're friends at the same time. And so, you know, of the developers downtown, I'm friends with a lion's share of them and they're great people and they, they all are doing different things and, and they're all doing unique things. You know, the good thing is we're not all building the same thing, Yeah, right? If we're all building the same thing, then, then I'd be really scared right now. But, you know, you have office developers and apartment complex developers and hotel developers and, and you have condo developers that, that like doing more of the middle market type of product. You have condo developers that only want to do ultra luxury. I would like to call myself luxury light. Right. right. Okay. You know, you yeah. know, like unbranded luxury. I dig that. Like with, with without pretense. Okay. I like that. Yeah. Um, and it's fascinating that you are being so innovative in terms of the the socioeconomics you're able to bring together in one building. Um, there's two kind of cliches that come to mind when you're saying that you guys are all somewhat friendly, um, or the lion's share of them. Um the saying your net worth is your network. Um, it's probably pretty good to have a network of individuals who are building skyscrapers. Um, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Um, but I, I, I think there's something to be said about the overall innovation. You guys continuing to push one another. I know there's some amazing concepts that are going on here. Are you going to expand out of Austin? Are you interested in other high rises and other big cities or it's Austin. Like, I feel like you're a true Austinite. You're from West Virginia. Yeah. But like, I feel like you're just, you're like true and true Austin. So I came here when I was 17 for UT. Yeah. Right. And I came from what I would call gated golf course, suburban health, Houston, okay. where I spent four years. And prior to that, I was in downtown Charleston, West Virginia. Right. 
not many people are familiar with Charleston, West Virginia, but believe it or not, it was you know, there are a lot of parallels between Charleston and Austin. They're both capital cities. They're both river cities. They're they're both uh, you know Austin has the hill country. Charleston was in the the Piedmont of the Appalachians, um, and Charleston was actually a larger city in the early 1900s than Austin. Okay, it just stopped growing. It stopped innovating. It stopped evolving. Right? Why does that happen? It was an industrial. Uh, an industrial city that didn't continue to innovate, right? Is that city leaders? Is that you know? I I think it's a combination of things. It's it's industry change of industry, right? Change of industry and 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 not continuing to recreate. You cannot ever become complacent. You can't ever rest on your laurels as an individual, as an organization, as a city, as a family, right? Complacency is you might as well start dying. Right, so I think that's kind of what happens. The essence of the Grow Die podcast is exactly that. Right. I am going to briefly interrupt this podcast to ask you to leave a five-star review and rating on whatever platform you're listening. And if you do this and screenshot and send it to the Grow Die Instagram page, you are going to be entered to win a $100 Amazon gift card. We're going to be picking people every other week. And listen, the show gets like 10, maybe 15 reviews per week. So your odds are going to be pretty high in there. So if you do that for me, it would be an amazing help. Let's get back to the show. Coming from someone who has uh, another half billion under contract right now, the lack of complacency is quite alarming with you and something that I admire out of you. I told you all fair that Emily got to you about getting you scheduled for the show. I told her I really wanted this guy to be on. Like This is what he does. Like, super cool, super friendly guy. Every time I see you, usually we're just passing the street, a little fist bump and like we keep going. Um, but I admire how fast you got back to her. Every time I've emailed you, you've gotten back so quick. That's a sign of hunger. That's a sign of drive. That's like, you're on top of it. Um, you're incredibly busy. I know you probably get a thousand messages a day. What is the drive? What, what is it? What keeps you going? It's a habit. Right, so it's also reminding myself of how I got where I am today. How did you get where you are today? I hustled. Outworked everybody. Just worked harder, right? So I got my real estate license in 1997. I was 19 years old. Why would anybody wanna do business with a 19 year old that's not from Austin, Texas, right? Well, it's. It was, I was the guy that answered my phone Saturday morning, mm. right? I was the guy that answered my phone on Memorial Day when, when the successful realtors were, you know, out on the lake, right? And I just worked a little harder, right? I was willing to pick up the phone. I was willing to say yes. I was willing to say yes. I, I will meet you there. I'm in, right? And I've found that the speed of responding to people uh, increases the likelihood of getting deals, deals done. I just also, I, you know, you know the whole golden rule thing, right? No. What, what's the golden rule? Well, there's two, there's two different definitions of the golden okay. rule. The, the, the one that I like to live by is do unto others the, the way you want to be done to yourself, right? right? So if I'm asking for something from somebody, if I'm, if I'm sending a note to somebody, well, I, I don't want a slow response, right? And the way I operate, I don't really sit down at a desk. So I'm constantly working off of my phone. I'm really good at deleting messages really, really quickly. Yeah. And I'm really good at responding to messages very quickly, but in a format that some people would say is short, Yeah, right? Rude, 
Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. You know what? I don't, I don't, I think rude is not responding. I agree. Or responding. A the week slow later. no. What slow you were no. talking yeah. about, the slow Hate no. the fucking slow no. Explain the slow no. So, you know, it's like, I, I call it the Canadian no. Oh, <laughs> shout out Canadian listeners. <laughs> I, I, love, I love my Canadians because they're always so damn nice. They're like, oh they're yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's great, Kev. Yeah. Let me think about that. I, I, you know, I'm going to get back with you on that one. I know what the answer is, you know? Just tell me no, right? That way I can move on. That way I can take my energy and put it somewhere else. So I'd like to respond to something. If somebody asks, asks me for something, if the answer is no, I'm just going to say the answer is no. I mean, good luck, best of luck, right? Um, and if the answer is yes, I want to get back to them and, and get on whatever that is, with whatever that is. But, it, but, it, but I'm really quick with my responses and really short. And I apologize to everyone that I know uh, about not putting the pleases and the thank yous and the and all the all this sweet nonsense on on the uh, the, the bread between yeah. the meat. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, when you're a truly busy individual, don't you sort of feel like the thank you is in the response? Anyways, you don't need to actually type it I, out. You know, I don't look at myself as having a, an ego where I I can get away with that. I still like to say thank you. Yeah, I, I still like to say please. You know, but I just sometimes I forget. Yeah, I feel that in, in the in the in the power of speed. Right? Yeah. Okay, so insatiable drives because now it's a habit at this point. You've been working since you were ten. Yeah, you before ten, before you were selling. Um, a, you were selling paintings. Yeah, water paintings. Yeah, like watercolor. Yeah, so I, you know, I, I've I've always I've always worked, and and I I feel like that I've always worked because I realized at a young age I was a klutz. Right, yeah. I was no good at sports. I tried, I tried basketball. You know, my dad played basketball. He was pretty good at it. You know, he, he's, yeah, he just played basketball. You know, no, you're no tall good too. At, yeah. You're like six three, six four, six four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. six five. Yeah. So, uh, you know, tried basketball. I was a klutz. I was horrible at that. I tried baseball, you know, little league and you know, t ball and all that. I was just no good at it. Yeah, right. But I wanted to be good at something, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so I filled my time with working, mm. right? And back then, it was selling stuff. And, um, so, you know, I did, I did whatever I could in the neighborhood. Um, and, uh, I, I came across a lady that, that ran, uh, a door-to-door -door sales business. And, uh, she was in charge of West Virginia and a few other states for a company called Fuller Brush, which was door-to-door -door sales of brushes, mops, brooms, household cleaning products. It was really high quality stuff. It, they'd been in business for over 80 years, uh, when I found out, when I learned about the ability to sell it. But, you know, the house that I lived in had, you know, fuller brush brooms and dust mops and shit like that, that had been in the house for 40 or 50 years. I lived in an old historic house in Charleston. And I'm like, I know this product, I get it. You know, my dad had a fuller brush that was given to him by his, I think it was a grandmother or something when he was in high school, Yeah. right? You know, and so I knew this stuff was high quality. And, and so I, I asked if I could, if I could sell a fuller brush and but from this land, she's like, no, you're too young. I'm like, why? I, you allow me to cut your yard. I mean, why, why can't I, why can't I go sell this stuff? She's like, well, okay, we'll give it a shot. And so I went door to door. And, uh, I think first lesson in life was, uh, you know, ever since like World War II, women went into the workforce and. There's nobody at home during the, like right after school and I'm going door to door, nobody's answering the damn door, right? Got it. And so you had to, you had to knock on a lot of doors and you had to cover a lot of ground to get to that yes, right? And so I scratched my head. I lived in the urban environment of Charleston and I was a block from the Capitol. So I, I moseyed on down to the Capitol grounds and started going office to office at the Capitol. 
And uh, so I got to talk to a lot of people very quickly. And I realized there that they, you know, they didn't get paid very well. And so, you know, I was getting more yeses because I've seen more people, but I still wasn't hitting the right target audience. And remember, I'm trying to sell something to, to people that they can actually use and need. So I'm not trying to sell them things that they don't need, right? It's a good product, things that people need. And so I turned the other direction to the heart of downtown. And I went office to office there. And I think lesson number one was the receptionist's job was to kick me the fuck out. And then how do you combat that? Well, I was 10 years old. I'd walk right past them. Oh yeah, go to see dad. <laughs> right? As, as I walked into the law firm, I'm reading the name on the, you know, on the door and then I go try and find that person. Yeah. I look for the biggest corner office. Yeah. I walk right in like I own the place. Hi, Bob. I'm Mr. Jones and Jones. Yeah. Mr. Jones, I'm Kevin Burns. I'm selling Fuller Brush. You've heard of Fuller Brush, right? You know, oh, you have Fuller at your home. Great. Uh, well, you know, and then I dive into like figuring out what they needed, yeah. right? Because if you're selling something, you, people don't want to buy something they don't need. Mm -hmm. They they want to, they either need it or they want it, right? If they don't, if, if neither one of those apply, then, then you're not getting to the sale, mm -hmm. right? And you're not helping them out and it doesn't feel good, right? Yeah. So, so I would go and I'd sell to the person in the corner office and, and then I would, I would ask them for permission to then go sell to all of their employees. Mm -hmm. And that, that worked. I became the number one Fuller Brush man by the age of 11. Wow. In the state of West Virginia. Now remember, West Virginia is a small state. Small state, but you're still number one <laughs> at age 11. Yes. There's something to be said about, well, you sold the boss. So everyone else who like wants to kind of be like the boss, That's your true. odds are much higher to get them on board as well. Selling things that people absolutely need. What's the appeal to emotion that you have to use? Do you use any with your current customers from the real estate component? And back then, did you strike people with their emotion and their emotions at all over Fuller Brush? And I wonder if the emotion was, this 10-year-old kid's hustling me? Is that the emotion? Sometimes that's it. Yeah. Sometimes that's it. But then you could ask yeah. them, like, well, tell me about what you need. You know, and then I yeah. talk to them about like, you know, like you, you wash your clothes, right? Yeah. You, you wash your clothes. Well, guess what? I, ha I have this really great laundry detergent that has no fillers or additives or things of that nature. And it's yeah. hypoallergenic. It's really good for you. Yeah. Right? Oh, well, duh, I want that. Duh, I want that. Sure. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You, you know, so it's like you're just figuring out, yeah. knowing your product, yeah. knowing what differentiates your product from everybody else's, what, what, what the superlative is. Yeah. That's a really important. What's the superlative in, in what, you're, what you're selling? Yeah. Right? Um, I look at like car salesmen and stuff. Because, you know, people right now are much more skeptical than ever. Sure. Everything that's being yeah. pushed to them. So you like, name it. I don't blame them. I don't blame them whatsoever. It's interesting when, like, there's a um, BMW car salesman driving a Porsche. <laughs> <laughs> hey, me, hey me. I got I to talk to somebody else. Yeah, I got to talk mean, to somebody else. Yeah, that's, that's, that's just a, that's a bad program. There's something to be said, like you wouldn't go to a dentist that had bad teeth, no. right? You probably, you, you wouldn't hire a trainer that's not in good shape. There's something to be said about walking the walk. Walking the walk. To be able to sell to people. My question for you, obviously you've had unbelievable success in your life. You have people who come to you that have just insane budgets, yeah. like- are you allowed to say what the craziest budget that's ever come to you is? Unlimited. What's that even? I mean, what? Just, just I want what I so, want. It so, doesn't so, matter. It doesn't. It just has to. You know what the deal is? Most of the people that have an unlimited budget, it has to make sense. Those are the most, lo actually, the most logical buyers. Okay. 
it just has to make sense. It has to feel like there's good value. Fascinating. And it has to fit what it is that they need first Mm -hmm. and then want, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, I've sold to a number of billionaires. They can buy whatever they want to buy. Yeah. Right? But it just has to feel good. Mm. And, and I've found that the, at least maybe I've been very blessed with the people I've worked with. They've, they've been very, uh, I've had a lot of really humble, solid human beings that I've interacted with in my career. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that I've taken just little, like a little, it's kind of like they've worn off on yeah. me a little bit here or there. Yeah. You know, and, and I've always looked up to so many of the, so many of the folks that, that I've had the opportunity to do business with. What you're attracting is just a mirror of what's going on internally. And I would say you're quite humble for all of your successes you have as well. But somebody comes to you with unlimited budget, um, anywhere in Austin, everything is on the table. Um, identifying their needs seems like it would be a rather tricky thing to do. No, because well, they're they're probably coming here. Like if they're coming here from an LA or San Francisco, they're probably already living a very elevated, luxurious lifestyle. Maybe this isn't their only property. Um, there has to be some pressure that you feel. So what I, I like to figure out is what's important to them. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Tell me, and, and I start out with questions like, tell me about where you're living now. Mm-hmm. Tell me about, tell me about your current residence or tell me about your favorite current residence. <laughs> Right? <laughs> Why is it your favorite? Why, what is it that you like about it? And what would you change? What would you, and okay, so you have the, you have the place in LA, but do you want to do something different? Or do you want to do the same? And so getting to know that human being and figuring out what it is that's important to them, right? Then I can go to work. Let me ask you, you've referenced four times in the show now getting to know the human being, and I absolutely love that. Absolutely, I, I love that. Um, I have a higher ticket coaching sale thing that I've recently um, unraveled, and it's, it's going unbelievably well. But I noticed when I was selling like $600 coaching packages or $400 coaching packages, just like, here's an email. Like, these are my rates. This is what I do. Right. Now it's, we're hopping on about an hour-long call. I'm going to see if I want to work. They're going to see if they want to work. Right. We're going to see how all in you are. We're going to follow it up with another call. I'm going to send you some homework and make sure you can follow these simple steps. See, I mean, you're coming on a high ticket package. We're going to be talking. Like we're going to be right. hanging out right. a lot. I want to make sure I like you. I want to make sure you like me. Um, getting to know the human has turned out in my life to be so instrumental with the Grow It I podcast growth as well. A lot of folks don't have that maybe charismatic drive or they don't have that, uh, that empathy muscle quite developed. You learned it at such a young age. When a realtor comes into you, you hire them, however that process works, you have to be teaching them like people skills, right? Like on the ball people skills. We've got to meet up with these people. We've got to you know, interact with them. We've got to get to know them, peel the layers of the onion back. It obviously came natural for you. Talk about how you teach somebody to be so personable and get to peel those layers back, get someone to be vulnerable. That's a skill, isn't it? Yeah, I believe it is. And and a lot of it's natural, but then it, it is practiced and, and it's, you have to be thoughtful about it, mm-hmm. right? You have to, it has to be front of mind, right? Mm-hmm. It, it has to, you have to be intentional about it until it becomes natural. We have an open office at Urban Space. 
So, you know, the idea is I always challenge my newer agents to hang out in the office and just listen, right? Just observe, mm -hmm. see, see how the people that have been doing it longer mm -hmm. interact. But it really comes down to, you know, every, every human being is different. Uh, just like when you're interviewing uh, candidates for who you're going to train, yeah. I always tell my agents, I'm like, get to know the human being, spend 10 minutes sitting down with them mm -hmm. ab about them, not about the real estate and figure out if it's a fit. Right. Mm -hmm. Because you're going to work with them. You're going to, you know, if, if they're buying a home from you, it, it's not just money. It, it's, it's emotion, mm -hmm. right? It's feelings. It's where they're going to live. It's where they're going to potentially raise their kids or have kids or, or, you know, go find a maid or what, whatever it is that they're going to do. It's, it's where they, you know, it's, it's their identity. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you, and then you put a couple into the mix, right? Now you're dealing with the emotions of two people and you're dealing with the psychology of two people. Kids. And or kids. That has a different dynamic. That, that is a different dynamic. Yeah. Every, every time you add another person to the mix, there's another layer. Dogs? Dogs are important yeah. and part of the, and I mean, like, like for example, have, having a dog, you know, there's some, some buildings that that's a really important question because there's some buildings in downtown that are extraordinarily dog friendly or they're situated in a location where you walk out the front door and you're on the trail. Yep. Right? Mm -hmm. That's great. Mm -hmm. That, that feels, it actually, it, it's almost it, it, living in a high rise if it is situated in the right location with a dog run in the building itself mm -hmm. is really not that much more difficult than having a dog in a house. Yeah. Right. I agree. But if you live in a building that doesn't have a dog run or isn't adjacent to a park or green space, it can be a huge pain in the fucking ass. Yeah, it can be. Right. There's some buildings that have dog runs here in Austin though, that just always kind of smells. <laughs> you know, you, know it, it, you have to you have to maintain them. I mean, we can talk I about do. that until yeah. I'm blue in the face. But yeah, it's yeah. it's it's all about being in the right building and and yeah, you know that that's a we could talk about the personalities of the different towers yeah as, as a whole different tangent. And that's one of the things that that we try and do at Urban Space is as we get to know the human being, we try and match. We're like a match matchmaking service. <laughs> you between kind of like, are, aren't you? <laughs> between the human being and the then the right personality and the right building yeah. they're going to live in, because every building has its own kind of distinct personality. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Some are exclusive. Some are inclusive. Some are you know like the fun building. Some are some are the value proposition. But like every every building has its own distinct personality. Yeah. And so that's what my agents do to set themselves apart is they understand that. Cause you know, now information is at your fingertips, yeah. right? You can learn about the square footage and the price and the location and so on and so forth online, mm -hmm. but you can't learn about the personality, right? Mm -hmm. You can't learn if, if the unit, you know, has a, a waft of smell from the dog run, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Or, or if there's a potentially a tower that's going to go up right in front of it, uh, right? So th yeah. that's what we've already always prided ourselves on being experts uh, in our marketplace. Yeah. Right. Being best in class. Speaking of be, being able to become an expert on anything online, there's, there's a, uh, like 12 year old video of you on YouTube saying, I don't know where this is going to go. You're like showing a property. You're like talking about OC. Like, I don't really know where this is going to go. <laughs> it's like, I wonder if 12 year ago, Kevin could see current Kevin. I should probably go back and look at what that. What that guy would think. Yeah. yeah. I probably do an you probably don't remember that. Huh? No. I should probably do an audit of what's yeah. out there right now. Yeah, you did not stick with the YouTube career, but I would say things turned out with you. Uh, pretty, you don't remember that video? Yeah, uh, I, mean, I did a that handful so of, of, of videos back in the day. What Just were you to... trying to accomplish back then? Well, you know, I heard that, that uh, you know, this video thing was going to become a thing. That's how people were going to like promote themselves. Yeah. 
turns out it's true. <laughs> they were right. They were right. Yeah. If they had any idea. <laughs> yeah. Just imagine if I had actually stuck with that and, you know, took the knowledge of, you know, and I, but I just, you know, I, I, I guess I've uh, been successful enough just by being really good at knowing what I'm doing and then conveying that knowledge to the people that I care about that I haven't really gone to the next level of like doing the extra videos and the extra this and the extra that. Right. There's something to be said about being able to have a highly successful business and not having to be in front of social criticism all the time. I look at the guys who have like the tens of millions of subscribers on YouTube and they're going through the Beverly Hills $60 million mansion and stuff. And hey, I, I like watching them because I like seeing it. Right. I like that. That's an, an insane life. It's a different life than I'm currently living. Uh, yet they don't get to leave that. No. Um, being a social, I mean, since the podcast has kind of taken off, you kind of feel like you always have to be the host of the Grow or Die podcast. You can't just kind of be Justin, right? right? Unless I'm inside my place um, with my friends. That's the only time I really get to just be Justin. Um, I've sat at Codependent before. You don't know about this. And it, it almost came to you. I was sitting at Codependent before. Um, this is like three or four months ago. And I had a stalker situation. Really? Of someone else sitting in there posting on Reddit what I was doing. No and shit. most of it's been taken down now. Um, but like, it was so bad to a point where one of your employees is a good friend of mine. Um, he and I were chatting about it. We were like trying to figure out what was going on. And he was like, you know, if we take this to Kevin, like we don't probably want to get it figured out. Cause like, this is like weird. Um, and I was like, no, like, you know, we don't need to do that. Like yada, yada. And then it slowly dissipated beyond that. So there's something to be said about, you don't have to be in the spotlight. You don't need the spot. I don't need it. You're so chill without having it. You lack this desire for ego, which is something I was so excited to chat with you about on the show because your habit stack that you've put together over the 40 years that you've been on this earth is curating into you having the success that you have now. Yet the young guys, the young guys want to be all over social media. Oh, they want to flaunt it. Yeah. They want to rent their Bentley for the day. <laughs> Come on. They're not driving the Bentley. <laughs> they're Kevin, they ain't got the Bentley. <laughs> they ain't got the Bentley. <laughs> like, let's be a hundred with it. Um, and you're over here selling legitimate towers. So you go from age 10 door to door sales yeah. to selling towers in about 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> you, you. I, I sold my first tower. Uh, I got the listing in 2004, started selling in 2005. Is it just saying that out loud a little wild? It's, it's sell crazy. towers. Towers, yeah. What's this process like? The process of acquiring a tower and then selling the tower. There, there's so much that goes into that. There is. So, so I've, I've done two different things. I started out doing the sales, marketing, and helping developers curate uh, their tower based upon market demands, yeah. right? And then branding, all the all that kind of good stuff. And um, after I sold my first tower, which was Malago on Rainy Street, yep. it's kind of what got Rainy Street going. Okay. Um, I took a, a piece of the proceeds, uh, and as opposed to just going out and blowing it, like you know, a lot of people would have done, I went and bought a site on Rainy Street. And that was before Rainy Street became a big deal. It was right after it was rezoned to Central Business District, which would allow for a tower. 
And so I, I bought half of the site of the modern, which is the condo tower I'm currently developing, where I'm doing, where I'm the landowner, the developer, the equity, the branding, the marketing, the design, uh, the project management, the, the whole, the whole shooting match. The whole thing is you. Well, the only thing that's not me is the architecture, engineering, uh, construction, and the debt. <laughs> and I got a lot of debt <laughs> on this deal. Yeah. <laughs> How much? Uh, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a decent fraction of a billion dollars. You know, it's a, it's a third of a billion dollars. <laughs> How long is that going to take? Well, so I'm 98% under contract. Already? Yeah. I poured the 29th floor this week. We're, we're pouring four to five floors a month. We're going to be done in 2025. I have six residences left. No way. Including yeah. the $18 million one. Uh, including the $18 million one. Restaurants? I'm doing a private club on the ground floor. So think about the codependent kind of on steroids, right? I'm interested. So it's a place that during the day... If you want to keep your laptop open all day, you can keep your laptop open. Well, until four, of course. <laughs> but but that way, if you want to go work, you know, it's going to be a place, uh, you know, I, I, I envision it as a more elevated uh, version of, like a more Austin elevated version of the Soho House, right? Yeah. So, so like codependent, but very community driven, you know, and not just for the people that are in the arts, but, mm -hmm. but I believe that, I believe that, that like, my foundation for who we're going to be looking for for membership is innovators, uh, creatives, but also capital, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because if you don't mix the capital with the innovators and the creatives, then they don't get funded and they don't get, they don't get, yeah. they, they don't get elevated. So it's the capital that's the jet fuel, yeah, right? And so I think that there's some organizations that kind of shun the capital. Yeah. And without that, without those, you know, the, the dorky finance guys, yeah. right, that are willing to write the checks. Mm -hmm. The dreams don't come true. You guys, I'm going to interrupt the show really quickly to tell you about the Grow or Die Facebook group that is jam-packed with knowledge. Not only am I going to be having guests from the Grow or Die page come in there and talk exclusively to you guys, we are going to share tons of information about sex, about relationships, about mentality, about wealth, about health that we are going to continually be building upon. And it is a literal one-stop shop for continuing self-improvement in the areas of your life and bedroom, your wallet, and the way that you see yourself and see the world. So please join the free Grow or Die Facebook group. A ridiculous amount of value in there. Let's get back to the show. You've obviously dealt with a lot of innovators and a lot of creatives. They just don't make money the same way that other people do. What's going on? What's going on? Why, 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 why do they struggle with that money-making component? Some people are afraid of money. Yeah. You know, it's just they don't understand it, right? So uh, We have no education on it. We have no we don't. Yeah, yeah, I mean, our school system's fucked. They yeah, don't teach is. us how to do real-world stuff. They teach us how, who, calculus? I know. How know, much, you know, did you, you probably had to take pre-cal or, yeah, you know, trigonometry or something in, yeah. in high school. Did nothing How, how many me. times have you used that? Oh, no. I, had to do, I had to do it again in college. Yeah. How many times have I used pre-cal or calculus? In the real world, no. how about how about personal finance? Yeah. How, oh, about, how about how to communicate with others? How about how to be a nice human being? Yeah. Oh my god. These could be great classes. They could be. These could be great classes. Okay. How, so how, how do you start running money? 
So, you know, I, I learned money just by dealing with money. So I say it's, it's, I was like six years old, yeah. right? Um, one of the fun things that I did, and it's kind of funny, but, um, you know, I lived in a historic district. Yeah. And, and as I think I told you, I, I mass produced watercolor paintings. I went door to door selling them to, to, to the people in this historic district. And there was a bunch of old, old ladies, old, old ladies. The houses were like 70, 80, 90 years old. And you had these old ladies that were living there. Well, these, my customers, they started dying. They're dying on me. You know, they're 80, 90 years old. And so I couldn't sell my watercolor anymore. But what would happen, you know, these big grand old houses, uh, the, the families would come and take what they wanted. Then they'd have an estate sale. And then after the estate sale, this is where it got really good. They would take all of the stuff in the house, you know, these three, four story houses where they'd like collected stuff over like 60, 70 years. And they'd put it all on the street for the garbage man. So I'd go around with my little red wagon. And I'd pilfer through all the trash. I found a lot of cool stuff. Really? Yeah. And so I'd store it. And then when I'd see that there was another estate sale on my block, and, and my block was the longest block in the Americas. Okay. Factoid. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It was a mile all the way around. Okay. Right. That's fascinating. Yeah. So, so interesting factoid. So, you know, a, a city block in Austin is about 270 feet by 270. Okay. Right? I didn't know that. Yeah. So, so total you're about a thousand, just over a thousand feet mm -hmm. on all four sides. So yeah. we're 5,200 feet. So like five times the size, right? In Charleston, West Virginia. Charleston, West Virginia. Um, 1500 block of Virginia street. Longest, longest block in the, in the Americas. Is that still true? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Or at least to the best of my knowledge. Yeah. Right. I haven't checked that for. Yeah. 20 years. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so I would, I'd bring all of, all of my, all of my treasures mm -hmm. onto my porch and, and have a, have a porch sale. When, when, when there was another estate sale on the block, I'd put my sign out. Yeah. And, and you know, one of the things I, I learned was I didn't price anything. I just asked people what, what will you give me for it? Yeah. And I'd watch, and I, I learned over time to watch their facial expressions when they told me what they'd give me for it. Mm -hmm. And I learned that some people were, were taking advantage of me. I also learned that some people were super fair. Right. I distinctly remember uh, there's two ladies and, the, and they, they found a, a hand mirror that I had for sale. And they're so excited. I'm like, and they said, like, we'd like to buy it. And I'm, I distinctly remember they, they offered me $4 for this hand mirror that I'd taken out of the trash. What did you think it was worth? I had no idea. Oh. Right. So up to them to tell me what, I, what is something worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we, 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 we did the deal, $4, I got my $4. And then she's like, oh, by the way, that was ivory. It's expensive. You know, like, like an elephant tusk ivory. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, that's the deal we made. But I also learned. She ripped you off. She ripped me off. Mm. But it was $4 I didn't have. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, you, so, so I've, I, you know, that was a lesson that I learned at a really young age, yeah. right? It, it imprinted in my mind to just pay attention to body language, right? Yeah. And always remember that something is only worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. So this enters into an interesting conundrum of younger entrepreneurs or people who are selling a product that need to have it in people. They need money. You're basically bartering away whatever this service is to someone just because they're willing to pay, maybe not what you would like to get them uh, paying, but they're just getting in. You need, you need reps, right. you need dollars. Right. So early in your career, you weren't very, uh, I'm assuming this transpires into later on in your life as well. Not just seven year old Kevin, who's, uh, uh flipping trash. <laughs> trash, trash. I don't want to say him, but flipping trash. trash. 
you just want to get people in the door. You just need to get dollars flowing. So I was just so I, I back to the back to the lessons here. I I learned finance through just the art of doing it. Right, the art of yeah. the the practice of interfacing with people and looking at, like I loved watching the prices right. Ah, okay. yeah, Bob Barker. Always, yeah, Bob Barker. Yeah, rest yeah. in peace. Rest in peace. Yeah. Love that guy. Yeah, uh, and, but I I was really good at, at guessing what something cost. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was like, what, I uh, I didn't watch a lot of TV, but that was one I, I yeah. definitely watched. You feel like there's like there's there's a certain momentum that just starts generating if you're just getting sales. I, I feel like I've seen that in my career. The sales might not be a bunch of money. They might not be these high tickets, but there's just a certain momentum to making money that like once you start, it's your responsibility to continue that going, continue innovating, driving it forward, building the habits to support it. Nowadays, people, man, young entrepreneurs, they're really, they, they think they're worth something before they've actually done anything because you put out some information for free, you have a following, and now you're selling services that you're not even qualified to give to people. Something about that just seems real slimy in nature. And I'm assuming in your time in business, you've seen a lot of karma maybe come back around to people who wanted to take the fast route and that fast route. Does it get have, you? Have or... you ever seen the fast route work? No. I never have either. And you know what I've learned though? It, it, occasionally, occasionally s- people do make fast money. They do. But you know what happens to the people that make the fast money? They usually lose that money real fast as well. Because you didn't learn the financial foundation to keep it. It's Bingo. like- um, Easy come, easy go. The people who win the lottery. Yes. They yeah, end up so in many the same becoming spot. Becoming bankrupt. Yeah, yeah. yeah NFL, they, NBA. Um, yeah, like, mm. you, like, like, a, like personal finance 101 is, yeah. is a real thing. It is. Okay, people don't have access to make money the way that you were making money back then. This is a, a podcast made to by 25 to 50-year-old people. They're, you know- a higher, I have some really cool analytics like on the show um, through a, a third party agency I've been working with. Much higher IQ in socioeconomics than normal America um, as listeners to the show. And I appreciate you guys being here. How do you learn money? Because where do you start? Um, I've read books. I read Robert Kiyos, uh, Kiyosawi, whatever, like Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Learned a lot from there. Great stuff. Yet in my personal experience, again, um, I've been fortunate to have some success in that regard. I definitely don't have a billion dollars in sales to anybody. Um, <laughs> we have a few million. It's okay. We're, you know, we're getting there. Uh, it's really hard to just say that the only way I can configure having greater personal finance education is through making money, making more money, losing money, you gotta, spending you gotta, money. You got you to gotta go through the process. Stupid decisions. I've learned some of my best lessons from stupid decisions. Can we hear about a stupid decision? You know, uh, I, I don't, I don't really have, you know, I've, I've, I've made plenty of stupid decisions, uh, in my life. Um, I say that my preference is to learn from other people's stupid decisions, yeah. right? I'm really good at learning from other people's mistakes. Ah, okay. Well, I think that is. You're uh, just always watching, you're curious. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just watching, listening, observing, uh, you know, so the, the developer that I worked for a developer and broker uh, for my first three years in the business, and he was a great human being, but he made some mistakes, mm. right? He, he got over his shoes, I'm oh, sorry, over his skis, like in the mid, late 80s. I don't know if you remember what happened in Texas. A lot of overdevelopment in the 80s based upon the ability to depreciate assets. So Tax Reform Act of 1986 killed our marketplace. Okay. 
Uh, and the SNL has allowed for a tremendous amount of borrowing for, for developments. And you could go get a loan for full total value of the asset. What was the benefit of that? Well, the, the banks just, the SNLs just wanted to loan the money because they're making money off their fees for loaning the money. So, you know, I worked for a developer that, 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 you know, uh, got caught in a downturn and, you know, he learned some really tough lessons. And, you know, one of them that he, he taught me a couple of really great lessons. Uh, one was when you're, when you're putting a deal together on a spreadsheet, don't change what you're going to sell it for based upon the cost being more, right? So you try and use yesterday's sales prices with tomorrow's potential costs. And if the deal doesn't work, don't do the deal, right? So that was one. Two, I used to be ruthless with negotiating. Ruthless. I wouldn't leave a nickel on the table. Wouldn't leave a penny on the table. And he's like, Kev, man, you're a really good negotiator, but do you ever want to do business with that person again? You're like burning the bridge because of how difficult you were to work with. So you might have gotten this one deal, but I got, the future 15 deals. Yeah, I'm off. just, yeah, I, 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 I got that deal done. I got a really good deal for my client. But that person on the other side of the table is not going to want to do business with me again because I cut their throat in the process. Yeah. So I learned to leave a little money on the table. What was that drive? Why? What I just, I just, once again, that was, you know, I wasn't competitive at sports. So yeah, I was competitive so with something, it. right? You, I loved, you felt like you won. I love the art of the deal. And, and what I learned, you know, it's like getting the best deal is like first level thinking. Okay. Creating a relationship that you're going to have for life. That's third level thinking. Right. Mm. So like when I, when I work with the developer or when I'm doing my deal myself, I told, I, I've told every developer I've worked with at the very beginning, like, Hey, we got 200 residents to sell. We got 300 residents to sell. Guess what? We got to leave some money on the table for them. Right. Mm. If you want them to buy two or three years before completion, mm -hmm. leave a little money on the table, yeah. let them feel like winners. Right. Which they're going to be. Yeah. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to close. They're going to tell their friends about the property. They're going to be your cheerleaders. Yep. And then when you do your next project, guess what they're going to do? They're going to come back and buy from you again because they had a great experience and they made some money. Mm -hmm. So we were very intentional on the modern. Mm -hmm. You know, once again, the fir first project I've ever done, start start to finish on, on ground up, you know, half billion dollar project, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, a lot of people were like, Kev, you sold your project out too fast. You have 98% under under contract and, and effectively a week of writing contracts, you know, you left a ton of money on the table. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know what? I exceeded my spreadsheet mm -hmm. significantly. I, I created a lot of great opportunities for a lot of people and I want to do this again. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm going to make plenty of money. Yeah. Leaving a little money on the table just increases the likelihood they're going to close on the residence when the time comes. Yeah. I'm mitigating my risk. Since I didn't have any equity partners, if the deal didn't succeed, guess who's fucking failing? Guess who's writing the check? Yep. Me, yep. right? Yep. I, and, and, you know, I didn't want to be on the street. Yep. And, and well, guess what happened? A few, like literally the week before I started my sales, this dumbass in Russia decided to invade Ukraine. Oh, did that fucked it, huh? That, that was the, that was the, if I would have launched my sales three months later, I wouldn't be at 98% under, under contract right now. And so, you know, I, it was a blessing that I said, you know what, I'm going to leave some money on the table and sell these out really fast. Yep. 
right? And I created a lot of great opportunities for a lot of great people and, and they'll come back and buy from me again. So that that's I believe that's a really important that was this, that was the second lesson that I that I distinctly remember. And then the the third was you make your money in the purchase, make your money in the acquisition, right? Okay. So if you buy it's called buy right. You know, so if you buy right, then you can always sell to the next person at a discount, right? Mm -hmm. You're still making money. There's a higher probability you're going to sell whatever it is that you're going to sell because you're giving a good deal to the next person. And guess what? That next per that person that you sell to, they're going to come back and they're going to buy from you again. Yeah. Right? So explain in numbers what that would look like, what a buy right situation would look like. So, so like on a new condo tower, uh, you know, I'm doing my sales. You know, I try and leave 10, 15% on the table. Yeah. You know? Okay. It, it needs to feel good. Yeah. And, and that's 10, 15% today's dollars and today's prices, but, but they're, they're not actually closing on the property for two to three years, maybe four years. Yeah. So then they get two, three, four years worth of appreciation on a locked in price. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's a no brainer. So it really becomes a no-brainer. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no guarantees in life with death and taxes, but yeah. but it's you know it it it's a relatively successful formula. You're making an irresistible offer because you're pulling money out of your pocket and basically giving it back to them. That's right. So they feel stupid walking away. How much does world conflict play into what's going on with your prestige of real estate development and sales? So you know what I what I've learned in life is uh, Austin is a uh, great market because it's filled with great people and there's a lot of great positive energy. We're usually the last to fall and the first to come back, but we are not immune to what happens in the global environment, right? So we have absolutely been impacted by what happened in in uh, Ukraine. You know that war caused uh, a tremendous amount of inflation. Well, also, the government printing a couple trillion dollars during COVID and handing it out. Yeah, what is eighty percent of the bills in circulation have been printed like the last five years or some shit like that? What the fuck? Can, 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 can I make a little conspiracy comment right now? There's like not gold backing any of this. No, that that's so like. Yeah, no, there's not. We passed that fifty years a long ago. time ago. Long time ago. Well, so what's what's backing it? What? Isn't there just the faith of yeah. the United States government and the military and this and the support of the military the hope that nobody fucks with us? That's right. It does not make crypto look really encouraging for the future. You know what? Uh, have you ever heard of the concept of stick with what you know? Yeah, I know. I know. And, and you know what? I, I've known plenty of people that have made f fortunes, yeah. right? Fortunes in it. I I stuck with what I knew. I know. Right? And, and and oh wait, yeah, we talked about a bar that I own. Yeah. So I didn't really stick with all the things yeah. I know, but but yeah. it fell into play with my core foundation of I lo love owning great real estate. Yeah. And I and I love creating community. Do you still own that real estate? Absolutely. For um which bar is it? I I, I own the the uh, real estate where the codependent is. I yeah. own the real estate where Bacalar is. Where Bacalar is. I thought did you own one on sixth or no? No. You didn't own one on sixth? No. No, you're not interested. <laughs> that doesn't seem like your scene. That's yeah, not not my scene. So I, I like to create spaces that I like to go to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we like to. We like. To, I can't imagine seeing you out. We, we like. To, we like to design design great spaces. You know. So I, I have. I have such a great team. I mean, I've been able to accomplish so much by empowering other people. Right. So that's that's another really. How important do you trick. empower other people? Uh, one, I find I feel like I have a knack for finding good people. You know, people that are passionate, right? That love what they do. And then empowering them, believing in them, like, 
you know, li- little nuggets of coaching, supporting, caring about the others, letting them make mistakes, right? Not it has to get difficult. It has its moments. Some of the mistakes are bigger than others. Yeah. Right. But do you let I make the, mistakes? Yeah. Right. You're very seasoned in it. And you're you still make mistakes. You do make mistakes. I do. Does your team learn from those mistakes? You teach on those mistakes? I, I, when I make a big mistake, I'm I'm the first to tell everybody about the mistake yeah. I made. Because I mean, if I'm gonna make the mistake, then fuck, I want to get a return, a positive return off of it by having everybody in my team hopefully not make that mistake themselves. When you see somebody on your team, maybe a newer agent or something trending towards a mistake, do you let them lean into it and figure it out or do you prevent it? Because I hold liability. Yeah. I I, I try and prevent the mistake. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But I do sit down with them and kind of coach them through it. Coach them through it. What would you say your leadership style is like? Actually, if you don't mind, I would like to give a psychoanalyzation and let's see how close I am. So, your leadership style is very empathetic. I think you resonate with a lot of people because of how freaking hard you go. You're going so hard that they're looking at you and they're like, I, I need to try to match what Kevin is doing. Like, that, that, that's insane. I feel like you probably lead a bunch of people to water and they all they have to do is really like start drinking. Like, you get this name back in you, this urban space name back in you. Well, you already kind of got one foot in the door in Austin, you know? It, it definitely helps. Um, I feel like you're very much so leading from the front. That's my preferred leadership side. Well, I, absolutely. Like, it, it, you know, being a, what do they call it? A, 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 uh, a, a couch quarterback, you know, you, yeah. you, you got to actually go out and do it. You got to do right? it. You got to do it. You got to throw passes. You got to throw it. You got you to get your hands dirty. Yep. Right. And so I, I love getting my hands dirty. You know, I love working hard. I love working. You know what I look I like even more than working hard, mm. working smart. Mm-hmm. And you know what I like even more than that? Getting Making money. <laughs> no, no, it's not the, the money. Isn't the? I used to get lucky. Getting lucky. I like that. Yeah, you know, like, I like, 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 like. So I, I got to. We're, we're doing a podcast right now, right? You know, and we're talking about successes and things that, right, and luck and so on yeah. and so forth. And so, um, we just recently opened a, a new uh, restaurant called Bacalar, right? You know, put all the passions together. So. You know, never had a restaurant, never done a restaurant before, mm-hmm. uh, but had the opportunity to buy a great pr- piece of ground floor real estate on the south end of Rainy Street um, because of what I did at the Codependent, right? So the developer of 44 East Ave, they came to me like, you know, he did a great job on the sales of the building. Would you like to buy the ground floor and do something special for the community? I said, absolutely. Uh, I went to my principal designer, my best friend, uh, Meryl, who runs my interior design business at Urban Space. Um, and she's like, Kev, I have a friend of mine that just uh, finished Top Chef. And I have a sneaking suspicion that he might have won. Can't, can't guarantee that. Mm-hmm. But, but Wink, wink. Well, you know, I, I, I'm not even going to go that far. Yeah. <laughs> but, but we started talking. We decided to build a concept around him, yep. right? So, you know, lo- design my designer... Uh, Wing person, Meryl, she designed an absolutely amazing space. We brought in Gabe Aralis, who did indeed one win Top Chef a couple of years ago. Incredible human being, incredible chef, incredible leader. Uh, and so we we brought him into the fold. And then I went out and I spent, um, I think the technical terms was a shit ton of money 
uh, building out this space. Maybe it might have been two shit tons of money. Two shit tons, two of, shit money? tons of money. Yeah, because I like, the budget the budget was one shit ton of money. Yeah, and you did and too. Then with the over, the overruns and <laughs> yeah. so on and so forth, because we wanted to make it perfect, we ended up yeah. spending two shit tons of money. Okay, so next project three. I don't know. I think that we'll go back to like one, one to one or one and a half. Okay, but you know, like we we you know we we put our we put our absolute like put it all on the table, right? Put all of our emotion, love, and passion into this project. You know, all the chips are in. All the chips are in. I, I gave Meryl a little piece of the, the business. I gave my sister, who's my CEO, a little piece of the business. I gave, you know, Gabe has a piece of the business. So I brought people that are passionate around me. I am the real estate. I'm like, look, if, if it just, if it just like breaks even, I'm happy it pays the rent, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, once again, I love owning the real estate. Yeah. And, you know, we were, we, we, we were very well received, but we kind of needed some luck, right? Okay. And I'll tell you one of the beautiful things about our community in Austin, Texas, is people give a shit. They sure right. Are. And you know, you know, the people that don't need to do anything nice for anybody because they already have everything they mm -hmm. need, those are the people that are giving even more more mm -hmm. of a shit. You're carrying even more. So so we've had some notoriable folks that have come and eaten at Bacalar. And we had this guy that does podcasts here in town mm -hmm. come and eat. Uh, a guy by the name of Joe Rogan. Ah, I've heard of him a couple times, I think. Yeah. So he came in and ate. He had an incredible experience. He took such great care of my staff. I mean, like, spoiled them rotten. Yeah. And then the next week, he had a podcast uh, with this guy that makes electric cars that lives in Austin as well. I think he and I are neighbors. Uh, you know, and, and, and so uh, he, Joe and Joe is talking to this guy, Elon, yeah. about his incredible experience yeah. at Bacalar. Yeah. You'll never guess this. Guess who came to Bacalar? Well, there are a lot more people that have come to Bacalar <laughs> since then, right? And Wait, has Elon been in? I don't think so. Okay, okay, uh, okay. But, but, but I'm, I'm uh, inviting him in anytime yeah. he wants to come. Um, and, and all of his kids and yeah. baby mamas and- Every else, single person. You know, you need whoever, just bring, bring, bring them all, bring them all. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, he didn't have to do that, yeah. right? There's no, there's no return on that. That's just be nice. That's just good karma. It is. Right? It is. Yeah. That's good. And that's the thing I love about Austin, Texas is like, just be not like, just be nice, be kind, right? It's like do nice things for the people around you without asking for anything in return. Good shit comes back. Good shit comes back. And so, I mean, this guy went so far as to, this Joe guy, he went so far as to put like, do a, a post on his Instagram about it. Oh my goodness. Right. That's awesome. And, and so I'm like, that's a blessing. So it's taken off since then. It has absolutely helped, right? It's it's it, it's take it's that's not the end all be all. No, right? End all like first you got to have a great space and serve great food and have great hospitality, right? Those three things are very important and a really good location. But then you got to have the secret sauce. Like the the great restaurants have a secret sauce, and that secret sauce is building the community, mm. right? And so that's part of building the community. That's part of getting people, letting people know that we're here and we exist. Yeah. And so it's definitely helping. And I, I love, I love Bacalar. Uh, I eat there all the time. So if I'm very excited to go I, check I, it I out. think you should go check yeah, it out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think, night. so I would recommend, you know, you go to Codependent all the time. You just walk the trail directly from, the, I mean, you walk out the door of the Codependent, you can take the trail all the way to the door of. Really? Of, yeah. Of Bacala, like literally, that we're we're tr we're we're trail front, right? Espresso martini Friday, hop on the trail. Yeah, and maybe then, and maybe then smoke go. a little bit of Mary Jane on the way down. Why not? Yeah, show up at the front door, 
And, and, and I heard a, I had this guy on the podcast earlier this week that told me this place was good. You guys might know him. <laughs> but yeah, that's that. I, that's it, it's a really it's become a really cool spot. And Yucatan food too. Yeah, Yucatan. What is fired? So you know the Yucatan has a lot of uh, influences from other places. You know, it was, it was a port. You know, a lot of people people came from all over the place. You know, there there were there's Lebanese influence. There's Indian influence. There's Dutch influence. There's there's uh, Creole and Caribbean influences, right? So it's not like your typical Mexican food. Okay, it's it's very much so ingredient forward. Okay. you know, healthy, delicious ingredients. Uh, you know, we support a lot of local, a lot of local uh, farmers. We, uh, you know, all of our meats come from like, you know, great ranches that care about their their animals before they before they go to our bellies. Let me ask you: um, Do you know about the? group the PETA group that's going around and protesting everyone who serves foie gras you familiar no it's happening in Austin um <laughs> they were outside of Dean's Steakhouse maybe a week or so ago um screaming shouting they were at J Prime been to Uchi a million times um I'm sure Uchiba's very soon they just go. They, they they scream like a patrons. They they well, scream. Why? At I mean, don't they have something better to do? Because it's with everything going on in the world, Kevin. You know what these people dedicate their energy and emotions to? Ducks who are being fed extraordinarily well. Extraordinarily <laughs> well. Living a good life. If we are actually getting down to the roots of what Fagua ducks are fed that served at high dining restaurants, other they're, ducks. They're, they're actually living the, they're yeah, living a pretty good life. The ducks on Ladybird Lake <laughs> would love to switch places. Um, they're going around just protesting. You said Gabe. Gabe won Iron Chef. No, uh, top, top Chef. Top Chef. Top Chef. Bravo's Top no Chef. Big deal. You said he's an incredible leader. Yeah. What makes somebody an incredible leader? Uh, you know, one of the things we talked about was empathy. Like he, he yeah. listens, he cares about the people that he's working with, but, but he also, he is passionate about what he's doing. And so, and that passion's inf infectious. And so people want to come work at Bacalar because they want to learn from him, right? Uh, and he's one of those just like very, very much so like, like, like myself or like Meryl, we work really fucking hard. And he works really hard and he leads by example and he gets sweaty in the kitchen. You know, he, he'll, he'll work behind the fire. We have live fire there. He'll work behind the fire. He'll work, he'll do, he'll do whatever he needs to do to make sure that we win it each and every night. And that's the thing about the restaurant business. You go to battle every- In Austin? You go to battle every single day. And, yeah. And you go to bed and you wake up. Yeah. And you do it all over again. Um, I don't want to name drop on the show. We have, I know someone that you know as well, who um, might be a neighbor of yours who owns a couple unbelievably prestigious restaurants in Austin. And um, I'm, he's going to be on the show relatively soon at the beginning of next year. Sometimes this man, I'm not sure if you're putting together who it is, but sometimes this man is so unbelievably stressed uh, because the night of service had one dish mm -hmm. that got pushed back. Yeah. They're serving. They're putting out 1,500 dishes in a night. And one dish. I know at that moment I'm not cut out for that. Yeah. Because that, he thinks about it. He sleeps on it. It keeps him up at night. One out of 1,500. That is such a tiny percentage. And I think I know who you're talking about. And that he's a great human being. Great human great being. Great human being. Oh, I like that. And, and, and when I go into his restaurants, 
that might serve steak yep. in our neighborhood. Might serve a little bit of steak here and there. there you can there. find me at the bar, bar. the first corner. Yeah, that, the corner that, where I can look and yeah, watch yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. it faces and, the TV and I get to see yeah. That's my spot. <laughs> and, 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 so, and, and so, you know, that guy makes me feel like that that I'm his friend and his neighbor and you know, and and I get invited, and, it, and it, it just feels good. It feels good. And, he, and the thing is, he cares. Just like he cares about making sure that every single last dish is perfect. Every single one. Right? That is unbelievable. Um, so, so Gabe obviously has a profound resume. Yes. And he's still getting sweaty in the kitchen. He's still, he's still, still throwing yeah, absolutely. Down. I have a story. I was at um, one of his restaurants um, here in Austin. I've chatted about it on the show many times. So Red Ash, I was unbelievably good friends with the um, sous chef there. Uh, we're still really close friends to this day. My steak got just charred. It was this dude that just hired him first day. And I'm there often as you're there often. So there's a little, um, hey, someone's here. Take care of the, these dishes. Right. Um, I don't want to say VIP, but it's definitely not VIP. It's not not VIP. <laughs> and my steak came out and it was not cooked right. It was identified very quickly because that was a test for this new person. Axe. Really? No second chance. It's an eighty dollar steak. That's the eight dollars. That's their eighty dollar steak. For that's me, right. that's two hundred dollar steak. Right. Eight dollar steak. Right. You fucked it on day one. I told you this steak. I saw it all go down from me. Never came back. Never allowed. Done. It's over. The restaurant scene is brutal. It's brutal. Why do you want to get into it? You know, I like owning great real estate. <laughs> Uh, I, it's a, it is it is like a it is a freaking bad drug for me. I love owning great, and, and the problem is, I, I mean, I, I can't just own the real estate. I like to create the space. Like yeah. we have so much fun creating cool spaces inside of the yeah. shell of the real estate, and then once we create the really cool spaces, then then we want to run the business too. Yeah, right. What what is driving you? I, I well, it's definitely not you're the not, money. You're not. No, it's not money it's not at all, or else you wouldn't fucking have this spot. <laughs> What is, what is yeah, going it, on? It's just fun. It's like I say, it's people. I love people. Yeah. Right. I love making people smile. Like, man, when I get a, when I get a text from a friend that I haven't heard, heard from in a while that said, Hey, Kev, I went to your restaurant. I had such a great experience. Man, that is my currency. Mm. That's my currency. The validation of knowing there was a job well done that people have opportunity and that you added to the community. Yes. That's what drives you. Yeah. Building the community. So, so it's, we're building both the, the, the physical community, building the modern and, and helping other developers with their condo towers. And, and then there's the, the creating the community by, by bringing people to a great space and, and creating an environment that feels good for them to hang out. I want to go back to your 20s. When you got your real estate license, you're answering the phone when other people are taking off there on the lake and you're hustling, you're meeting people, you're grinding. Yeah. I had the to. first big deal. The first big deal you got, the first million dollar deal. What's going through your head? You haven't navigated that before. There's pressure. There how how early did that come in your career? So my my first I, I you know, keep in mind I got Got in real estate in the nineties yeah. and a million dollar deal was actually a really big deal in Austin. Yeah. So I did a couple deals my very first summer when I was 19 
where I, you know, I had a lawn business back in high school. Yeah. And so I established a lot of relationships. About 13. Uh, started at 13. That's right. And uh, so I got my real estate license and, you know, I told my old, I, I went back to Houston for that summer in between uh, semesters. And uh, I told all my lawn customers that I have my real estate license. And I went to work for a real estate broker that I used to mow lawns for, right? <laughs> and, and and one of my old real estate, uh, uh, one of my old, uh, sorry, one of my old lawn customers, uh, Skip Hartley was the guy's name. was like, yeah, you know what? You, you can sell my house and help me buy one, right? So I sold his house that was on the lake in uh, Clear Lake. Uh, and then helped him buy a, like a 5,000 square foot house. And so I, that was like, I did that in the very first summer. Um, and, and that felt really good. Yeah. Right. That, that somebody trusted me yeah. to do these big transactions. Yeah. Right. Um, and I got the deals across the finish line. You know, that was a guy that always kind of watched out for me. Like I, I started by mowing his lawn and then next thing you know, I'm taking care of his boats and, mm-hmm. you know, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And, and there's just people out there that care. There are. Right. There's people that, that you know, th- there's nothing better than adopting a, a young entrepreneur and, yeah. you know, kind of helping and guide them. Yeah. Right. Y- y- you can change people's lives yeah. by by just a little coaching and advice and guidance. A little belief. That's right. Yeah, I many people, Kevin, have never had someone believe in them. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a huge, uh, it's a pandemic in, in this world. Right. right. I don't know. It's just people are busy and they they forget about the people around them. People are busy and, also, and a lot of people are lazy. A lot of people are busy. And then I think the busy people, they do forget to look for the ones that are actually worthwhile. And, and sometimes you got to, you got to take pause. So, you know, we, at Urban Space, we are big fans of giving back to the community, which is, you know, goes back to Carmen and whatnot. But uh, one of the organizations that, that we've helped out a lot over time is Big Brothers, Big Sisters. I'm not familiar. So they basically provide a effectively a mentor for yeah. underprivileged kids beautiful right these kids that have nothing you know single moms kids that don't have two nickels to rub together and 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 they connect them with good human beings that are willing to give these kids time to help them out to give them the motivation like you can yes you can you can do this you can get through school. You can go to college. You can get a job, like you, you know, and it's and it's just being a role model uh, for kids is such a powerful thing, and just helping, right? Just taking the time to say say yes. I mean, mm-hmm. none none of us are so busy that we can't help the person next to us. I agree with that. I I, I want to take you real quick. I, I want to take you through my self belief cycle, and I'd like to hear what you think about it. All right. Um, then I, I, I have a, one more question for you after that. Um, I was chatting with your um, maybe operations direct, director of operations. Um, he's always at Codependent. Super nice guy. My Tap. my. Uh, yeah, my my uh, director of hospitality. Yeah, 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 great human being. Yeah, I was chatting with him today, and I was like, I just really appreciate Kevin taking out the time for the show. So I, I don't want that to go unsaid. Uh, my process of self belief is number one: you have to have some sort of hope, and I think hope is very easily instilled by somebody else, mm-hmm. by someone you look up to. So if you prove yourself to somebody, maybe there can be some hope that they provide you. But that hope then has to turn into self belief. And the self-belief cycle, I believe, turns into self-love and, and trusting yourself. The self-belief cycle, we have such a maybe overused expression of how important affirmations are. And I love affirmations because we are 
changing the internal dialogue. 100%. Yet, if you stand in front of the mirror and you tell yourself how great you are and then you don't do anything that's great I'm, that day, then- I'm you, good enough, I'm smart enough, and gosh, golly, people like me. Yeah, then is that all you need? Because you got to back it up. Now you right. have to task complete. You have to challenge yourself once you've said that you're going to do that and you're said you're great and all these things. Well, now you have to go execute. And that's the standard that you have to live by. And people are missing this execution marker because you just think, well, I'm saying these good things. So it's bringing me back good manifestations. Maybe some positive things are happening. I believe if you can look yourself in the eye, you can say those things about yourself, then that is what you truly believe you are capable of. Yet, Kevin, people don't want to work 10 hours. People don't want to work 12 hours with no pay, with no money, just building foundational principles to go into. So you start building these foundational principles. I'm huge on you need to learn something new every day. Sure. I, I just, I, I learned, that's why this podcast is amazing. It's a cheat code. I've learned 50 new things from you today that you don't even realize. So you learn something new every day. You challenge yourself. You affirm yourself. You go to bed. You journal. You read. You do whatever it is, all of those things. But the task completion is what continually grows that self-belief cycle. And that self-belief turns into self-love because you're continually serving self. That self-love is now able to love other people, able to express gratitude towards other people. And it's able to pay it forward in the manner of you paying it forward to people, having generous moves, all of those items, right? We continue this trend up and the karma's on our side and we're continually building these habits. And all of a sudden you climb the ladder of success. Mm -hmm. It's not that hard. The hard part is the consistency and the habits. Right. The hard part is the sacrifice. What have you had to sacrifice along the way towards Kevin Burns being where he's at right now? Well, it's it's all those moments. Like when I was when I was young in my business, it's, it's picking up the phone on a Saturday morning when nobody else wanted to pick up the phone. It, it was that yes, I'm in. It's the little bit of extra hard work. It's like when when I started Urban Space, I didn't have the money for a janitor, so I fucking cleaned the toilet. Right. That's, that's what I did. I cleaned the toilet. I did the book. I did everything, you know, and then we slowly, but surely I was able to bring people into the organization to kind of hand off some of that work. Mm -hmm. But, but, you know, it's owning your own business. You still have to, to be, to run a great business. You still have to lead by example. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, it's, it's just like the, the best, the greatest in the industry, they worked really hard to get to where they were. Right. And they didn't bitch about how hard they worked. They just did it. Right, because they like doing it. Yeah, because yeah. they love doing it. Yeah, that's how you get good. Right. Yeah, and, and that that uh, I just recently read read a book uh, that that kind of touched on what you were talking about. But like, you gotta you you have you can't love anybody else unless you love yourself. And happiness comes from the love you have within inside of yourself. Right. You have to you have to make your own happiness. You can't rely upon anybody else for your happiness. Right. Can't do that. And you know you, you can. You can inspire other people for happiness, but they have to find their own happiness as well. Oh, they do. You know? They do. Is and there anything special you do throughout the day to like help fill your happiness? You know, it's like little things like, I know this sounds silly, but when I'm, when I'm kind of, I don't, I don't get down very often, but like when I kind of get bored, but sometimes like I need a little pick me up, I'll walk into the codependent. I'll just go start saying hi to people that I know that are regular. And it's just like start conversation. Like I love, I love people. Right, I I love interfacing, hearing what's going on uh, with with uh, with great human beings. Yeah, uh, I do that, and then uh, you know I practice a little yoga every now and then. I walk, I right. walk a lot. Right? You do, I walk a lot. You do, I see you walking often. I walk. Sometimes we'll pass each other multiple times a day. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. But I yeah, walk that's, a lot. That's too. that's my jam. Like like <laughs> Ladybird Lake. Trail. I have lived within eleven bird eleven blocks of Ladybird Lake Trail. 
since 2000. Wow. Right. How many uh, times you walked that trail, you think? Tens of thousands. Thousands of times, yeah. right. You know, daily, multiple times a day, right? So uh, I think being in nature, right? That's one of my kind of things. Um, love, love taking, love, love the doing, doing uh, walking meetings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I thought that's what you were doing. I yeah, often lot, see you with of, somebody yeah, talking. Yeah. You're in it. Yeah. Um, is there anything you're reading or learning about right now that's intriguing you? Well, so, uh, you know, life has its ups and downs and, uh, I got divorced earlier this year. Okay. So, you know, I've, I've been doing some reading on, you know, relationships and, yeah. you know, how to, how to be in a better relationship and, yeah. and introspection and, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, how to be the best human being I can be. Yeah. Do you feel like your success ladder, you have had to neglect your skills in a relationship to be able to get to where you are, to be able to serve others from the professional component. I mean, I'm sure there's been a, a piece of that yeah. in the mix. Yeah, yeah, I feel that. And it's difficult. It's, it's, it's difficult to think that, man, I love this thing so much, but oftentimes it can cost it, you. It neglects the, because in relationships, you know, everybody has a love language, right? And so you got to know that that other person's love language and, you know, my ex-wife's was, uh, one of them was acts of service. And, and, you know, I probably, I probably could have had a few more moments of doing something nice for her. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do you live with any regrets or you just move forward? I move forward. I learn from, I learn from the lessons. I forgive. I, 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 I keep a little, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, just, just to make sure I minimize the mistakes or make sure that I don't get, yeah. you know, hurt by you know, doing the same thing. Of course. Um, but no, if if you live in the fucking past, then you can't you can't focus on the future, right? If if you spend all of your time, one of yeah, one of my favorite kind of uh, things to live by, and, and I coach people about this all the time is you have so much energy in life, right? You have a you have a a certain amount of energy. You can grow it a little bit, but yeah. but more or less you have a certain amount of energy. And energy is sometimes time, but mm-hmm. it's also you know it's 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 mental, emotional, mm-hmm. it's it's physical time, and you can spend your time harping on the past or dealing with like somebody wronged you, right? You can either take the time to forgive them, right, mm-hmm. and be done with the situation, learn the lesson, mm-hmm. move forward, or you could spend your energy suing them. Like so, it's somebody that did you wrong in business, and 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 there has the potential to be monetary damages. Mm-hmm. I, I can I I have so much energy. I can either spend that time going after that human being, right, and and winding myself up in a negative way, mm-hmm. or I can spend that energy going out and making more and doing more and learning from those mistakes. And and I'm not going to tell you that that 100 percent of the time that I take that route, right. I mean, there's still some moments where I'm going to come after you like a spider monkey. Yeah, you're still a human. Yeah. There's still going to be anger. But but nine times out of 10, I'm able to let it go and move forward. And and I feel like that that has created a lot of happiness for me. Like, I don't really like enemies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I'd rather, I'd rather swallow my fucking pride whether, and, move and move on and move on. Do you take ownership in places that you, you wasn't even your fault? Sometimes. I find that to be an easy that's coping a, mechanism. Yeah, yeah you know, and, and that's hard to do. It's really hard to do. I try, you know, and I can always be better at it. Yeah. 
especially because we're prideful men. Of course. Like that wasn't my fault, but for us to save grace and for this whole bridge to not burn down, I'm going to say that it was. Well, it goes back to the playing the long game, right? It's like the leaving a little bit of money on the table. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Leaving a little energy on the table. Yeah. Right? Leaving a little bit of your pride on, leaving a little bit of your pride yeah. on the table. That's hard. That's real hard. I'm it's 30. Hard. I'm learning it. I'm, I'm older than that. <laughs> <laughs> Although, uh, you know, I, I think I might suffer from a little Peter Pan syndrome. You know, I have some green tights that are being custom made right now. <laughs> I, I, uh, it fits you well. <laughs> um, my last question for you. Yep. I never put this in like the notes or anything. I told you we weren't going to use the notes. I never put this in the notes or anything because I always want to just get the most raw, vulnerable answer possible. You can take as much time as you need to answer it. Um, Kevin Burns at 25 years old. The fastest growing demographic of the show is 25 year old men. Kevin Burns at 25. What does he need to know that you know now? That you're not invincible. <laughs> you know, at 25, 26 years old, I, I had found a lot of success, right? I was on top of the world. I, I, I had a chip on my shoulder, you know, I was, I was, you know, Mr. Number one. Right. And, you know, I got, I got kicked in the gut, the balls, the whole fucking shooting match. Uh, in just a few years after that, 2007, eight, nine, you know, the great recession. So I was, I was 20, 26, 27 years old. Uh, after, like 2005, I was, I was 27. Right. And that's when I had my first like kind of big tastes of wins, right? So I'm, I'm going to that 25, 27 range as far as advice. And, you know, I, I wish that, that I had been a, a little bit more humble than I was. Uh, I, I got to eat the humble pie, right? Later. But I wish that I, that I, that I had a little bit more grace back then. Uh, you know, I wish that I would have saved a little bit more and spent it on more real estate back then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? You love a I good love, real estate property. <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do. Um, you, you know, and, and just, you know, I, I think that, uh, I think a lot of it is just to that 25, 26 year old that's found a lot of early success is make sure you start giving back at that point in time. Mm. Right. Gra grat gratitude. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, you have me doing my anxious tick over here now. You're, you're, you're hitting some home, some tough strings for me. Yeah. Um, there's something I've never said on the show that I, I want to end this show with. Um, I have a weird hope after talking with you, learning more about your story just through researching you before the show, hearing more about what you shared today. There's an interesting timeline and some similarities uh, just of you and I's lives that you were there at that time. I was in an interesting situation at that time. You talk about the 25-year-old you had so much success, needed to be humbled. That was the 25-year-old me. I had, company just did the first $2 million year that we had ever had, and I'm... I don't know what to do with this. I'm from Ohio. I'm from, I'm from blue. West Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> Even worse. I'm, I'm from this blue. I don't know what to do with anything going on. Um, 
women love power and I was a man in power and I was definitely using that, leveraging that to my advantage. I was a dick to people. I was definitely not who I am now. And I also, I've burnt a lot of bridges then, a lot of anger, mm. a lot of lack of ownership, a lot of people that are unbelievable that I'll never be able to get back in good graces with because you burn uh, it. Uh, you never know. I mean, it, yeah. it's amazing. Really? Yeah. I, I've, I've reached out a few times, sent some voice memos. I've taken ownership. Upon yeah. Me. I think taking it and, and just asking for forgiveness, yeah. you know, because we're, we're human beings. We're imperfect by definition. So there was people that put me on a pedestal and expected perfection. But, I didn't ask for it, but we're not perfect. We're not. Um, so I hope one day that I'm able to receive that grace from them. Um, but I feel, I feel hopeful after this because, um, I have a lot of very successful friends. Um, after this show, I'm going to consider you a, a loose friend of mine, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Um, all of you guys are so humble and you're grateful and you pay it forward and you do the volunteer work and you do the donation work and all of that stuff. And it's something I believe in and I wanted to get more involved in. Um, so from one entrepreneur, a little bit younger and less wise and uh, less successful of you to another one, I hope that in you know, 10, 15 years, the, I, I get to be in that position that you're in because you've had a huge impact on Austin. Well, I appreciate so, that. Yeah, I appreciate you taking out the time for the show. I hope you enjoyed yourself. This is absolutely oh, this is fantastic. Great. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Now, the next hard part of this is I usually tell people, hey, this is their offering. If you're in business for a multi-million dollar condo in Austin, then reach out to Kevin <laughs> and buy it. But you're not absolutely. really active on socials. You don't. You don't do a lot there. You, your website, Urban Spaces, I think it's fantastic. It's awesome. Um, there's a lot of amazing articles about you out there online. Um, what can people take from this show to maybe be able to get in? Is there anything you do, like mentorship, like meet with people for coffee, do any of that? You're so busy. You know, I, I have to... Uh... One of the things that I that I learned um, through friends of mine that have created a lot of success for themselves, but also uh, take pride in uh, keeping time for themselves and for their family, is is managing the energy vampires, right? You know, so I love helping people that that have a you know a direct need. I was I was uh, I'm in an organization called uh, EO Entrepreneurs Organization. Mm -hmm. And they had this, uh, they had this retired monk come and talk to us. This guy named Don Dapani, right? And he gives us all this inspirational, like guru shit that was like, you know, really, really good, good stuff. I don't remember any of it. <laughs> except, except until, and you're going to love this, right? And this applies until like, you know, somebody from the audience is like, this is just such great stuff. Like, you know. And you say that you're willing to help people. How do you filter out all these people that are willing to help you, that, that want your help? And he's like, it's simple. Uh, they they ask for my help. I say, okay, here's my email. Send me an email. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Most people don't ever send nope, an email. They never will. No. And then second, when they actually send the email, he responds and says, okay, make your bed for the next 30 days and then email me again. Mm -hmm. I like that. Right? I like that. Yep. I see where he's and, going. And, and then 90% of the people don't. don't. 
No. They don't. So, yeah. Right. And, and then the, 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 you know, now you've, you, you got, you got 10% and, and 10% of 10%. So yeah. you're down to 1%. 1%. Right. Yeah. Now, now that 1%. Yeah. Have you ever heard of that 1% by I, the way? I have. Yeah. Well, that 1% has actually followed up with the email. They've made their bed for 30 days mm -hmm. and they've sent another email. And then, you know what? He takes the time to, to help them out. I agree with that. Right. I love that. And, and you know, I, I make my bed. That's one of the things I, like I've made it for like ever since I got divorced. Yeah. Uh, one, I live above my, my offices and my whole residence is like a showroom for my furniture store. So I never know when one of my salespeople are going to like bring people up ah, to my yeah. space, yeah. but I've been very intentional about making my bed every morning, yeah. putting my laundry away, you know, like doing those little things. And it's like, I get a win. It's like, it's like having a win yeah. that I can control yeah. every day of my life. The first thing you do in the morning, make your bed. Make your That's what I bed. do. One, one, get out of bed. Half the battle yeah. is getting out of bed. Yeah. A, a big Part of the battle is being in business, being young and being in business. Yeah. Right. And you want to go out and have fun with your friends. The there is a big differentiator between those that are that go out and have fun. And the next morning, they th there's those that sleep in mm -mm. And, and feel sorry for themselves, mm -mm. or those that wake up, get their asses out of bed. Mm -hmm. The alarm clock goes off, they get out of bed, they make their bed and they go out and do something with themselves. The alarm clock goes off at 6 a.m. No matter what, you're out of bed at 6 a.m. No, this is for me, 6 a.m. No matter what, whatever time I went to bed, that's on me. That's on you. But that 6 a.m. time doesn't change. That's right. So you better go to bed at a damn good time. Yeah. Um, I'm going to leave you with one more. I would love to hear it. Well, my, uh, my, the, the, the beautiful mother of my two daughters, yeah. uh, she taught me a really good lesson a long time ago. Yeah. And, and that it was a line that she gave me. She's like, Kevin, you did it to yourself. Right. So every time that you complain about being hungover or something of that nature, you did it to it is you are responsible for your own actions. Mm, that right? simple line. That's if people simple, could just believe it. It's simple, man. So like yeah. that I love that six AM wake up call. Doesn't matter what you did the night before, it yeah. probably teaches you to be responsible. Very responsible. Um I I have to I have to rack it back yeah. to that like we're tennis players. Um so do you, do you not allow like, uh, excuses, victim mentality? Do you manage that within your companies? Within like, your friend group? Yeah. Yeah. Excuses are like assholes. Every, everybody yeah, has everyone's one. Everyone's got them. Yeah. I hate them. Yeah. I hate them. Yeah. No, don't, don't, uh, and, and like, don't show up, don't show up late to a meeting with a fucking fresh Starbucks in your hand. <laughs> That's the... <laughs> If you, if you want instant disrespect, yeah, yeah, you show up yeah. late to one of my meetings with a, with a fresh fucking, yeah. and you can tell if it's fresh yeah. because it's like, you can't. Now, if, if you're doing this, is yeah. you there, you're, yeah. okay. You're but if, you're like, if you're just like kind of- Just barely tipping it. it. Go fuck yourself. I was, uh, I was about six minutes late to my chiropractic appointment today, and I texted him, Kevin. I said, due to my poor time management, I'm right behind. That's honest. Yeah, that's honesty. Kevin Burns, thank you so much for taking out the time Absolutely. to come My on pleasure. the show. Really yeah, that was it. fantastic. That was awesome. You guys, check out Urban Space and some of the work that Kevin has done. Read some articles. He's absolutely fascinating. And if you can make your bed for 30 straight days and not have any excuses, you can find his email out there and prove yourself to him later on. Kevin, Grower Die fam, we'll see you guys soon. Awesome. Peace.